going to continue um, from home this evening, uh, the series that uh, we've been doing the last couple of weeks, and this will be part three um, of that. And uh, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to jump in here, and um, this evening we will be focusing um, for the most part on the the lust of the eyes. Last week we focused on the lust of the flesh, and uh, this week we're going to focus on the lust of the eyes. So I want to read the uh, primary verses to you again, if you just in case you didn't notice, I did put these uh, notes onto Realm so that if you wanted to, to be able to follow along, you're able to do that. The only negative about that is you can cheat and look at the end and try to judge how much longer I'm going to go. Um, but nevertheless, um, since I normally provide on Thursday evenings a way for you to follow a little more than a Sunday, I, I wanted to do that. So, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, again, are kind of the primary verses of, uh, of this series. And John says this, Love not the world, <clears throat> neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. As I have said at some point in this series, uh, Jesus is the prime example of of, the, of of doing the will of God and abiding forever. Obviously, there are many other uh, examples that could be put in there, but uh, everything in the world passes away. Everything in the world passes away. We're we're experiencing that here in these last couple of years and in different ways, in new ways, things that, especially as, as those of us that live in America, things that we have been very used to and, and really took for granted that they would always be there. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've taken it for granted uh, walking into the grocery store and seeing shelves full. Never would have imagined that here in this country uh, we would walk through the grocery store and see empty shelves and so everything everything in the world pass passes away and the lust thereof so the lust the three lusts that uh, we read about in verse 16 everything passes away but he that doeth the will of god abideth forever i want to just uh as a sort of a quick reminder and if you've missed either of the first two weeks of this series, I, I would encourage you to go back and watch um, whatever it is you've missed. And so as a, a just a very, very brief reminder of last week, I'm not going to go into any depth on this, but Barnes Note says with regards to the lust of the flesh, he says that the phrase the lust of the flesh here denotes that which pampers the appetites or all that is connected 
with the indulgence of the mere animal propensities. So the, the lust of the flesh are those very basic fundamental things that, that we are drawn to. And uh, we'll maybe touch on that just a tad bit more in a few minutes when we read uh, from Genesis and a verse we've already read of, of Eve's interaction with the serpent in the garden. Colossians 3 and 5 says this, and uh, in the Amplified it says, so kill, in the King James it says mortify, the Amplified says so kill, deaden, deprive of power, the evil desire lurking in your members. And, and this next part is it's kind of similar terminology to what I just read from with regards to what Barnes Notes says. Those animal impulses and all that is earthly in you that is employed in sin, sexual vice, impurity, sensual appetites, unholy desires, and all greed and covetousness, <clears throat> for that is idolatry. The deifying of self and other created things instead of God. I, I, I shared last week, Paul talks about the body, soul, and the spirit, and uh, I had a slide last week sort of so showing what uh, I believe is a correlation of these three lusts that John talks about, and then the three parts that we are made up of. And, and uh, as I communicated last week, the lust of the flesh was, is, I believe, has, is, is more so with regards to the, to the body. And then tonight, what we're going to talk about, the lust of the, of the eyes, has more to do with our souls and then the 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 the, uh, the pride of life um, is is more so to do with our uh, the the spirit part of us and and so uh, I I I hope to get across and and I think it was in one of these lessons recently I know there have been some times uh, I, even in the last several months I think in preaching where I've said I. I felt like I had a little bit of a grasp on a subject, but not the full grasp, but there was more to it uh, than, than sort of what I had fully come to understand. And, and I feel like uh, this, this evening and, and the contrast of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, uh, I, I kind of feel that way about this, about this, this subject this evening, that there's some, there's some things that are even... Uh, deeper than than what I feel like I have come to fully understand and and therefore can sort of fully communicate. But uh, by the help of the Lord, we will um, we will we will get it across at least as much as the Lord desires us to get it across. So uh, again, the the lust of the flesh. Uh, one more time, as Barnes notes, as it. It has to do with the appetites or all that is connected with the indulgence of the mere animal propensities. And so it's uh, when we, we talked about last week when Eve, uh, the Bible says that, that the first thing that happened was that she saw that the fruit was good for food. It would, it would fulfill a desire, would fulfill 
in, 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 a, in a context that would fulfill a pleasure. That fruit would be pleasurable. And so that was appealing to the lust of, of the flesh. But I believe as, as disciples, as saints, um, that, that the deeper struggle that we've got to be cautious of is, is, is this topic this evening and the lust of the eyes. Jameson Fawcett and Brown says with regards to the lust of the eyes, it is the avenue, the eyes, it is the avenue through which outward things of the world, riches, pomp, and beauty inflame us. And uh, I don't profess to be as smart as Jameson Fawcett and Brown, um, but I, I, I want to say in the context of this evening, uh, I, I think it's much deeper than just uh, riches, pomp, and beauty. I, I think the lust of the eyes and, and the, the potential issue of the lust of the eyes is way deeper than those things because those things, at least in my opinion, sound a little bit uh, frivolous or, or, or surface when in fact, and by the help of the Lord, it'll get across here this evening. When we're talking about the lust of the eyes, it is, it is deeper than that. So let, let's um, kind of, I guess, take a little bit of a, of a side road here for a few minutes because I think, I think there's some things that Jesus said that, that uh, bring some significance to what John is saying with regards to the lust of the eyes. And so in Matthew chapter 6, and beginning with verse number 21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. So we're talking about the lust of the eyes. And Jesus says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? And I'm, I would be... I'm pretty sure that most of us, at least the adults, uh, the teenagers and adults, maybe uh, you can read those verses in the King James and get a basic understanding of what they're, they're saying, what they mean. Uh, but I think it's also a little bit challenging to get the full uh, understanding of, of what Jesus is saying uh, through, by the King James, the, the whole body full of darkness. If if the light that is in thee be darkness, what? how can you have light in you that's darkness? How great is that darkness? So I want to read to you from the Amplified Bible those same verses. So it says it this way in the Amplified, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your entire body will be full of light. But if your eye is unsound, your whole body will be full of darkness. And now it's, it's really this next part of this verse that I think is what kind of brings some real understanding to what Jesus is saying. Because it says, if then the very light in you, your conscience, your conscience 
is darkened, how dense is that darkness? If then the very light in you, your conscience, is darkened, how dense is that darkness? Every single one of us, every human being is born with a conscience. Paul talks about, if, if the uh, uses the term, the, the, the Greeks, I believe it is, if, 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 the, if the Greeks know, or Gentiles, uh, if they know how to live by the law without the law, and, and I believe what Paul is referring to there, referring to there is the conscience. Every one of us has been given a conscience. Again, John chapter 1, I've used these verses lately, but John chapter 1 tells us that the light has, has shined to all men. And so Jesus, in, in, in the way the Amplified is saying it here, is that if your conscience is darkened, uh, let, me, let me paraphrase it this way, if your conscience is desensitized, I've, I've shared this before, but um, in, the, in the Conquer series, one of the, and that's the, basically the, the video series about uh, helping to overcome a, a addiction to pornography. But in that series, they, 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 they spend a lot of time on how the brain works, how the brain functions. And, and one of the interesting things that they touched on there is that, that physically, there is a physical change that comes to the brain when you press past those feelings that are telling you not to do something, that there is literally, so we talk about the, the darkening of the conscience or the, the, the desensitizing of the conscience. And, and all my life, I believe that, but it was always kind of in this spiritual sense. And yet science says that our brains change. And so I, I believe that's, that's in essence what this darkening of the conscience is. If the very light in you, your conscience is darkened, how dense is that darkness? Because what happens when our conscience becomes darkness, we, we, we lose the ability to properly discern what is right and wrong. And, and one, of the, one of the saddest, most dangerous things is when a person begins to reach a point that they don't feel guilt anymore when they do, when they commit sin, when they violate the word of God. From a fleshly standpoint, that's a wonderful thing to do whatever you want to do and then not uh, not deal with the guilt and the shame uh, of, of what you've done, to feel like it is okay. That's the deadening of the conscience. But it's really not a good thing. It's actually uh, such a, a, a tragic thing to be able to reach the point. And it's a sad thing to, to have watched people. I've watched people throughout my ministry as they have become more and more comfortable with things that at one point their conscience bothered them over. And of course, you know, some of the terminology that we hear is, is about those that have left the church and, and how much freer they feel. And some, not that they just left the church, but they left the apostolic faith and, and found a, 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 a form of Christianity that, that was a little freer and gave them the ability to, to the, the permission to do the things they wanted to do. But the bottom line is, it's a deadening of the conscience. And so the light of the body is the eye. I want to 
I want to read to you a little bit to just get a little context, a little more understanding of, of what Jesus is talking about. And, and, and again, the significance of talking about the lust of the eyes. Barnes light of the body. The sentiment stated in the preceding verses, the duty of fixing the affections on heavenly things. Jesus proceeds to illustrate by a reference to the eye. When the eye is directed steadily toward an object and is in health or is single, everything is clear and plain. If it vibrates, flies to different objects, is fixed on no one, no one singly, or is diseased, nothing is seen clearly. Nothing is seen clearly. Everything is dim and confused. The man, therefore, is unsteady. Lost my place. There we go. The eye regulates the motion of the body. Note, the eye regulates the motion of the body. To have an object distinctly in view is necessary in order to correct and regulate action. Rope dancers, or in this context, I think a term that's a little more clear to us is uh, walkers, rope dancers, that they may steady themselves, fix the eye on some object on the wall and look steadily at that. If they should look down on the rope or the people, they might become dizzy and fall. A man crossing a stream on a log, if he will look across at some object steadily, will be in little danger. If he looks down on the dashing and rolling waters, he will become dizzy and fall. So Jesus says, in order that the conduct may be right, it is important to fix the affections on heaven. Having the affections there, having the eye of faith, single, steady, unwavering, all the conduct will be correspondent. My actions will come into alignment with where I've got my eye set, what I'm looking at. I think James chapter 1 verse 8 is, is very applicable to this idea here and, and this idea of... of uh, rope dancers and, and walking across logs. In the, amp, the, the King James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The Amplified says it this way, verse chapter, James 1, verse 8. For being as he is, a man of two minds, hesitating, dubious, irresolute, he is unstable and unreliable and uncertain about everything he thinks feels, and decides. If I could say it this way in the context of, of what Jesus said about the eye, the person that is fixing their eye one moment on, on, on the things of God, the things of the kingdom, but then the, the next minute they're, they're looking on the things of the world, that that man is unstable, the scripture says, in all of his ways. He's not just stable in his Christianity. He is unstable in every aspect of of life. You know, I, I, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things many of us can relate to another, uh, sort of another example in addition to the two that uh, Barnes Notes gives is, 
is that of driving. It is a, it is, it is a, uh, I don't want to say dangerous. I feel like that sounds a little bit too dramatic, but uh, it, it's not a wise thing when you're driving to be looking at things uh, off to your side, off to the side of you, to to be looking at something out your window, uh, to be looking at somebody in the in the passenger seat, uh, because you're you're subconsciously, if you're looking out the the left window as you're driving, subconsciously you begin to turn the wheel in the direction that you're looking. That that happens through the eyes. And, and uh, I, I, I really believe that in the context of the lust of the eyes and the context of what Jesus is saying about the eye, uh, I, I really believe that, that this is both literally, this is both literal and figurative. I, I believe it applies to our natural eyes, the things that we set our natural eyes on. The things we read, the things we watch, the things that that come in through through our eyes. Solomon says, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. I've used that verse so many times, and I've used this so many times, but there's two ways that stuff gets into our heart, and it's through the eyes and through the ears. But I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't say that the light of the body is through the eyes and the ears. He made it singular, that the light of the body is the eye. So, he says, uh, if thine eye be evil, the whole, or excuse me, back to verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. With regards to that word single, Barnes note says steady, directed to one object, not confused as person's eyes are when they see double. We, we, what you're, you, you know, one day you're living, you got your eyes set on your purpose in the kingdom, your calling, your, your relationship with God is, is what your eyes are set on, the, the word of God. But then the next day, stuff in life, your uh, career, your natural desires, now your, your attention is drawn to those things. That's not steady. The eye has to be single. And then with regards to the, the phrase, thy body shall be full of light, he says this, your conduct will be regular and steady. All that is needful to direct the body is that the eye be fixed right. No other light is required. So all that is needed to direct the soul and the conduct is that the eye of faith be fixed on heaven, that the affections be here. If I've got my eye, if I've got my heart set on heaven, if that's where I've got my focus, that's where I'm going to be, that's what I'm going to be pursuing, that's the direction that I'm going to be going. I, I think another example uh, of this is, is that of Peter when, when he and the disciples were in the midst of the storm and Jesus comes walking. And, and Peter calls out and says, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. And 
Jesus responds to, to Peter and tells him to come. And, and Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on the water. And, and when he got out of the boat and began to walk on the water, at first he, he, was, he was doing what Barnes is talking about that the, the rope dancer is doing. He's got, a, he's got his eyes on a fixed point or the person that's walking across the eyes on the spot they're going to, not looking at the dangers around them. And so when, when Peter first got out of the boat and began to walk in the, in, on the waves and the storm was still raging, as long as his eyes were fixed on Jesus... What was going on around him was of no consequence. It didn't bother him. It, the fact that the storm, the storm did not cease when Jesus said, come. All of that was still going on. But he had his eye fixed, and so he was moving in the direction of where he had his eye fixed. But then what happened? He took his eyes off of that destination, of that fixed point, began to look at the waves and, and what was going on around him, and he began to sink. Can I pause for a moment with a little bit different application of this this evening and say that in light of here we are again, once again affected by this virus, once, a bit, once again impacted by what we're doing because of, because of this sickness. I was thinking about it uh, as I was getting ready for this evening and I, for 48 years of my life, basically, church was never canceled because of sickness. I mean, we've had flu outbreaks through the years. We've had we've had sickness where a bunch of people were sick through the years, but it never even crossed our minds to to not have church. And and maybe it should still be that way. But I think again, in the in the in the effort of just being safe and cautious, and uh, this thing affects people in different ways. So I'm not trying to get into all the political part of it, I guess, but just simply saying, you and I have got to get our eyes fixed. As I said throughout 2020, take COVID away, forget COVID. Basically, all of us still have our own stuff, our own struggles, our own difficulties, uh, sickness and, and, and family crisis and, and financial challenges. It, we, we still have all of those. We've got to learn to fix our eyes, get our eyes fixed so that the storm that's going on around us doesn't bother us because we got our eyes fixed on our destination. So let's kind of now get back into focusing a little bit more on this term, the lust of the eyes. It, it seems as though, and in my study these last several weeks of this passage and digging into things in the Word of God that are related to this passage, the lust of the eyes acts on what is most appealing to me without regard for what God says. It, there, there is a deeper level of the lust of the eyes than the, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is, is a basic to me, it seems as though it's a basic impulse. And I'm going to say this again. I said this in one of the last two weeks. I don't remember which one. I, I have no desire to sort of make some big thing out of something that's really not a big thing. <laughs> and, and I feel like sometimes when you delve into, especially you're focusing on a verse, if you're not careful, it's almost like you can, you can start putting everything in that context. And and, and I have no desire to do that. So 
Um, but but I, I again, I, I really believe there's some very important, significant things to you and I in our walk with God. So, so Eve, and, and let me go ahead and read it. It's right there if you've got the notes open. Genesis 3 and 6, when the woman saw the tree was good for food. That, that's that when we act on the impulse of the lust of the flesh, it's just, oh, okay, it's good, let's do it. But then it, she went another step. It was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. She was, she was consciously disregarding what God had said. She was putting her, her own desires, her own lustful desires above what God had said was right or what was wrong. The word pleasant there is, in the Hebrew, it means a desire, a wish, longings of one's heart, lust, an appetite, covetousness, a thing desired, an object of desire. I, I, I will, let me, let me say this, and I think I may perhaps come back to this in a little bit later in this, in this uh, lesson this evening, uh, but but I believe, and this is one of those parts that I was kind of referring to this at the beginning of not sure I have a complete full grasp or know how to to uh, completely clearly articulate this. But but I, I believe there's a difference between some of the the struggles, some of the sins that we commit that that basically they they are just lusts of the of the flesh. Uh, a person. Uh, let, me, let me put it this way to kind of bring a little bit of uh, narrowness to it and not make it too broad, but uh, two young people who give in to a moment of passion uh, and, and become physically involved in a moment of passion it is not the same thing. And, and, and again, I believe, I believe I've got enough of a grasp on this to be able to say this. And I'm not, I'm not saying this from something I've read. I don't have a I don't have some book I'm quoting here. This is what I feel like the Lord has given me in the course of studying these verses in the last couple of weeks. So, so there's a difference between uh, two young people in a moment of, of temptation and passion that, that get involved physically versus the person who, who has reached the point of some kind of sexual addiction. They're, they're not, they're, one of those, I believe, falls into the category of the lust of the flesh. Whereas the next one is moved into the lust of the eyes because it, it is, it is while we believe, while we teach that uh, sex outside of marriage is, is wrong, um, and, and when, if you do that, you're disregarding the Word of God. At least it's still uh, a natural thing. <laughs> but when you move into perversion, you are, you are moving into a degree of disregarding. Your conscience has become darkened. And you're moving into another dimension and an even more dangerous place of disregarding what God has said. So it's a desire, wish, a longing of one's heart, lust and appetite, a thing desired, an object of desire. I want you to... I want to read a couple of passages here that I think are kind of also some, some examples of this. Um, Genesis 13 and 8, this is, this is the story of Abraham and Lot and, and their 
they're working on deciding who's going to live where. The Bible says, Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou wilt if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and behold and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Then Lot chose him, all the plain and lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. And as most of you know, the remainder of the story, Lot's family gets entwined in what's going on in Sodom to the point that judgment comes and Lot loses his wife in the process of that. And, and so I realize that in these verses here, uh, Lot was not violating a direct command. Eve reached the point of willingly violating a direct command from God. So, so again, I understand that that uh, in in Abram approaching Lot and saying, "Decide which direction you're going to go. Where do you want to live? And and wherever you want to live, I'm going to take the I'm going to take the other place." And so Lot looks. How does Lot make his decision? He makes his choice. He makes the choice of where he's going to settle his family. He makes it all on how it appeals to his eyes. It wasn't based on the potential of, of how it would impact his family. He, he didn't think through all of that. He, he didn't put any time into considering what could be the outcome if I choose to, to take this land. It's kind of interesting that Abram gave him the option. I'm pretty sure uh, Abram ultimately wanted to be where he ended up because uh, I think he trusted God. He he was learning some things about God, and and so I think I think uh, and I don't want to again overanalyze or read in too much here, but I think Abram was was okay with giving Lot the decision because he he, he knew Lot. He had an understanding of Lot and, and what what uh, sort of made Lot tick, and so he knew. I believe he knew or had an inkling of which direction Lot was going to go. He knew that he was simply going to make the decision over based on what, what appeals to me, what is going to be most enjoyable, what's going to be most pleasurable. I, I, I think one of, the, one of the examples here is, and, and I've watched it, and, and I've watched it, unfortunately, go the negative way, but thankfully I've also watched it go the positive way. I've watched where people have made choices on careers or job opportunities, and I've watched where some people have made the choice based on the, 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 an increase in salary and better benefits, et cetera, et cetera, without any regard to, to how it would impact their ministry involvement, their kingdom involvement, et cetera, and they have chosen to go that direction. And I've watched with a lot of them as it's gone 
very negatively in comparison to what they thought was going to happen. But I also watched the other end of that spectrum. I watched where some people have been given opportunities for for uh, jobs that would be significant raises, and sometimes it's still in this area. Sometimes it it would require moving away, uh, and but it, I mean it would all be it would be financially better position for them for their family if they've got families and and and, and I've watched and I've I've been involved personally with a couple situations where I've I've watched people have to wrestle with a decision, but I've watched as I've watched some that have finally, they made their choice and they made their choice based on how is this going to impact my my soul, my ministry, my involvement in the kingdom. And, 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 and also what I've watched, and it didn't happen immediately, but I've, I've seen with time as, as people have made that decision to maybe stay where they are and not pursue that that uh, higher income, better benefits, etc. I've watched that as in time, God brought another opportunity along, but that next opportunity God brought along worked in the way that it fit with them being able to still prioritize the kingdom. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom and all these things shall be added. Another example, I believe, of this, this idea of the lust of the eyes and, and it being so strong that it causes us to just disregard the word of God is found in Joshua. And when the children of Israel were about to take Jericho, the first place that they were going to conquer in the promised land, God gave specific instruction to the people that they were not to take anything from that city. Normally you take spoils of war and, and, and you bring things back that you from, from flunkered. But the Lord's instruction was, this first city, everything belongs to me. And so as the scripture tells us, a man by the name of Achan disregarded that and, and then the children of Israel go to the next battle at Ai and uh, basically that next battle, they should have won pretty easily. In fact, they, they didn't even send everybody to that battle. If I'm not mistaken, Joshua stayed back and waited. And, and yet they came back and basically got their, their rear ends kicked. <laughs> and now they're all upset and questioning and even doubting. And, and so the Lord begins to talk to Joshua that there's sin in the camp. And, and finally, Achan is identified. And so in Joshua 7 verse 20... Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. Now, I, I want you to notice sort of the boldness of Achan to presume that he had the right to disregard or ignore the command that was given to the children of Israel. And look at what he says. When I saw, when I saw the spoils of goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and I took them 
And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. When I saw what was there, when I saw the spoils that were available, they so appealed to me, they so got a hold of me that I was willing to make the decision to disregard the commandment that the Lord had given us. When you follow the lust of your eyes, you reach the point where it, it you know, it's kind of the difference. Uh, not, not all uh, penalties for murder are, are the same. I mean, there, there's involuntary manslaughter and, 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 and then there's premeditated murder. The, the penalty for premeditated murder, when you have thought through, when you have planned, when you have, you have thought out how you're going to kill somebody, the penalty for that is way different. It's way heavier than the, than the penalty. I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, those are kind of the two extremes. And involuntary, you killed some, you killed them, but it, it was not, a, there was no intent. It was a, an accident, a car accident or whatever. It, it, the, uh, the, the lust of the flesh is, I believe it's more so involuntary manslaughter. Not that we did it without control, not that we were forced to do something, but it was more of a, a moment, again, a moment of passion, a moment of weakness. But that next one is something we, we know we are fully aware of what the Word of God says. And when we've had our eye fixed on what the Word says, we're moving in the right direction. But then we take our eye and put it somewhere else. It's no longer single, so we're no longer steady. So now we're now going back and forth, kind of like what uh, uh, Elijah said on Mount Carmel. How, how long halt ye between two opinions? How long are you going to go back and forth between where you've got your eye set? I saw, I saw, and when I saw it, it was so, uh, it had such a pull on me, I completely disregarded. What's also, here's what's, here's what's interesting. He saw these things, a garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels. I coveted them, I took them, but what happened? I hid them in the earth, in the midst of my tent, and the silver hundred. So the, he takes these things that are so appealing to him, and yet he was still aware enough of the wrong that he had done. He hid them and wasn't even enjoying the pleasure of them. Isn't it amazing how the enemy works? To, to the child of God who begins to struggle, you... you you got that double-mindedness, and so you, 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 you give in to some of that lust, whether it's the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes. You give in to some of that. However, there's still enough of you aware. There's, there's still a part of you that is aware enough that what you're doing is wrong. You don't even really fully enjoy it. <laughs> you got to hide it. You got you to gotta live. You got to do it in secret. So again... It seems to me that next step here is, is just the, the conscious disregard for what's right, what's wrong. 
and letting your desires of what will please you, what will be pleasurable to you, influence your decision. Listen to what Proverbs 27 and 20 says. Hell and destruction are never full. Hell and destruction are never full. That is, and I, I know, again, you got the notes. You can read the rest of that verse. But before I read the rest of it, I mean, how, how serious of a statement is that? Hell and destruction are never full. They're never satisfied. And look at what the wise man connects to hell and destruction never being full. So the eyes of a man are never satisfied. The Amplified, Sheol, the place of the dead, and Abaddon, the place of destruction, are never satisfied. So the lust of the eyes of man is never satisfied. I, I realize it's a translation from the King James, but, but we've got the same phrase here in the Amplified. The lust of the eyes of man is never satisfied. There, there is a law when it comes to, to uh, I guess most things. I don't want to even. I, I don't think I want to put it in a limited context. There is a law of progression. That's why the the, the person that ends up uh, uh, addicted to drugs and 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 on the street having lost everything, they didn't start there. It's not where it's, it progressed. It got worse and worse. Because at each level, you, you, you're satisfied for a while, but then that satisfaction is gone. And so you, you got to have more. You want more. You're never satisfied. The law of progression, I, I've heard, and we've used it some now a couple of years ago in conversation with Brother Reaver and kind of with regards to the made-to-be-pure talk topic. He, he talked, shared with me some stuff he had taught about the law of progression when it comes to, to dating and eventually marriage. And that's part of the danger. That's why, as silly as it sounds in this world we're in today, for, for a, that if you're not married, you shouldn't touch. You shouldn't be touching. I know that sounds so so ridiculous, but the problem is there's something in us that's never satisfied. And the problem is the moment you, you take a first step in, in a direction you shouldn't go, you've now opened a door that you, you'll be satisfied for a, a season. But the eyes, the lust of the eyes, is never satisfied. And so at some point, you're going to take the next step. And then that'll last for a while, but then comes the next step. So it is in, in, in all aspects of, 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 of heading down the wrong path. How many people have found themselves in a place where they look around and they think, I never, and, and I, I mean, of course, you, this has happened and happens, thankfully, in a positive way. But in this context right here, for now, they find themselves in a place and look around and think, I never thought I'd, I never thought I'd go this, I never thought I'd do this. I never thought I'd end up in this kind of lifestyle. It progressed. There was, there was a lust of the eye that started them down a path that they weren't satisfied. And again, they began disregarding, consciously disregarding. And of course, going back to what we started or touched on 
earlier. The problem is the more you go down that path, the darker your conscience gets, the deader your conscience gets. In the Old Testament, it seems as though the law, the Ten Commandments, and all of the other commandments that were given, it, it seems to me, I'm going to say this hopefully for the last time tonight, I, 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 I don't want to say things that, obviously I don't want to say things that aren't true, and I don't want to make assumptions, whatever, but, but it seems as though the law tended to deal with the external, the sins of the flesh. I mean, just read the Ten Commandments, and 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 I'd I'd say I think I think at least half of them are really basically about things that were would would be with regards to the flesh, the sins of the flesh. But watch what happens in the New Testament. Watch what Jesus says in Matthew five twenty seven. You've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The message Bible says it this way. You know the next commandment pretty well too. Don't go to bed with another spouse, but don't think, you're, don't think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. Now let me just say quickly here, <laughs> I do not believe what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, that if, you are in a, if you're a married couple and you find out uh, your spouse has a problem with adultery, that that is now grounds for divorce. I, th I think, and, and I believe I can prove and explain what I'm saying, that that, that, that when it comes to adultery and, and grounds for divorce, Jesus is talking about the act. But I believe there, the, the message here, he's saying, I'm, I'm showing you in the Old Testament, it kind of dealt with the external, it dealt with the sort of the surface stuff. But now what I'm telling you, now that I've come, I want to tell you it's much deeper than that. Is it a coincidence that it wasn't until Jesus came that he now says, okay, you know in, in old times that if you committed adultery, you, you knew you weren't supposed to commit adultery, but now I'm telling you, I'm taking it to another step. I'm taking it to another level. Now, if you if you think about, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery. I, I think the significance of why Jesus is now one saying that, and Jesus is sort of amping things up, is because prior to him coming, the means for us, the, the, the strength and the ability and the power for us to overcome that, we didn't have it until he came and, and until we are now able to be filled with his spirit and empowered by his spirit. But again, in the context of this topic, the lust of the eyes, he's, he's saying, I, he, you, you want to just give yourself a pat on the back because you've done certain things. You haven't physically been involved in certain activities, I'm telling you that it's deeper than that. It's more to it than that. Read, read Romans chapter 1. Read what Paul says, and, and, and he talks about in there, uh, towards the end of Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about um, that <coughs> we... 
there, there are those that they take ple- they know it's wrong, but they they take pleasure through what others do. They they live vicariously. Bishop preached years ago about that, about vicarious sins. I wonder how much our our uh, our our, our uh, entertainment choices change if we if we didn't justify what we watch by the fact. Well, I I didn't do that. I didn't commit that sin. And and how many times do we do we choose to justify things because well I I didn't actually do something. I just thought about it. I just imagined it. I. Is, is is the reason, and I believe it is, is the reason that Jesus says this and points this out is because he knows what you put your eyes on. It's only going to be so long that it's just going to be your imagination. You keep your eyes fixed on something, that's the direction you're going. Just as a brief side point here in the footnotes of the passage, the Passion Translation, it says, with regards to this verse, the Aramaic is speaking of more than adultery with a married woman. It uses the word for any sex act outside of marriage. And I'm not going to get into it tonight. There's Hopefully there's young children that are watching this live stream this evening, but in, in a world of technology, I'll just say it that way, just think of that in the world of technology that we now have such struggles and issues in our world with today. So what, all of that is kind of negative, at least it seems that way to me, and seems a little bit heavy, which hopefully it is. What's the answer? Obviously there has to be a solution. Listen to what Job said in Job chapter 31, verse 1. I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? I, I've included it for your, your, uh, few, your, your you can read it later. I'm not going to take the time to read all of it now, but I, I'd encourage you um, to, to go back, not right now while I'm, while I'm speaking, to go back and read what a covenant is. Because... This was not a casual commitment that Job was making here. He didn't just say, you know what, I, I'm making a promise. I, I say this basically in every wedding ceremony I perform. We, we, we have the saying in our world today that promises are made to be broken. And, 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 and we may not have a, as much of an understanding in, in, in this day and time about the significance of a vow. But in biblical times, there was, there was an understanding of the significance of a vow. And so uh, the scripture says it's better to never vow a vow than it is to vow a vow and break it. And, and so what Job was saying here, again, read, read, read how intense a covenant is. It's not a promise. There's a difference between him making a covenant and just making a promise. But he says, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? Uh, Basically, I made a covenant with my eyes. I'm not going to look on a maid. The uh, Adam Clark says this, my conscience and my eyes 
are the contract parties. <laughs> Just let that sink in, I guess, for a moment. My, my conscience and my eyes are the contracting parties. There is a connection. I could say it this way, I think an unbreakable connection with my conscience and my eyes. They are the contracting parties. Listen to what Barnes Note says with regards to this commitment that Job was making with regards to his eyes. His purpose to lead a pure life and to keep a pure heart had been so settled that it was impossible that he could have offended in that respect. His purpose also not to think on this subject, stint of the restriction imposed on himself. It was not merely, watch this, this, this last part, it was not merely his intention to lead a chaste life and to avoid open sin, but it was to maintain a pure heart and to not and not to suffer the mind to become corrupted by dwelling on impure images or indulging in unholy desires. He makes this covenant, he makes this commitment with his eyes because he's not just interested in refraining from the actions that people might be able to see or know about. He's concerned with his heart. We, 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 we focus how many times, and we've all, I think we've all made the mistake. I think to a degree you might outgrow it some, or it may just happen in more mature ways. We've all made the mistake of making a decision to do something we knew was wrong, if we calculated being able to do it without the people finding out that we don't want to know, parents, pastor, leadership, whatever. If I can do this and get away with it. But, but Job was saying, I'm not just interested in refraining from actions that are wrong that people would see. Job was saying, I want what goes on inside of me that nobody else knows, nobody else sees, that only God can see, only God can judge. I want that part of me to be pure as well. How many people could say, well, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't go here, I don't go there, I, I don't participate in this activity, etc., 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 but if you were able to see the mind, see the heart, you would find out that it was corrupted with impure images or unholy desires. I believe it was David. It's in the Psalms. I believe it was David. Again, every Psalm wasn't written by David, even though many times we automatically attribute a Psalm to David. But I think this was one of David's Psalms. Create in me a clean heart. Actually, I know that one was. There's another one I thought I was about to quote. That one definitely was, because that was his prayer 
in regards to being corrected by the prophet over his adultery. Create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit. The other one that I was referring to that I think he wrote, let the words of my mouth, so in, in, in the context of this, the words of my mouth are the things that others can, can recognize, see, or hear. It's the outward, the external. Let the words of my mouth, but then he says, the next part, and the meditations of my heart be acceptable. How many times do we do an okay job at the words of our mouth being right, but the thoughts being wrong? Say the right thing. Do the right thing. Be able to muster up the energy, the strength in a moment to, to act in the right way. Get around somebody you've got a grudge against. You're not willing to deal with it, but but for you know a few minutes, a few hours, whatever, you are able to act and pretend as if there's no issues, no problems. Treat them syrupy sweet, but inside you're you're cussing them up one side and down the other. The psalmist says, "I don't." want just my words. I don't want just my actions to be pleasing. I want that part of me that nobody else but you, God, knows. Nobody else sees but you, God. I want that part to be pure and clean as well. Paul says it this way. Now you know how close to the end I am. Colossians 3, verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Amplified says it this way. Set your minds and keep them set on what is above, the higher things, not on the things that are on the earth. I, I, I think that I really think the terminology of this verse is, is really interesting. I, I, a lot of times our affections, uh, uh, they're more of a, a, I guess, sort of a, a reactionary kind of a thing in, in the sense of, you know, something happens, somebody does something and, 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 and we're, we become affectionate toward them. And I don't mean in, uh, just in a, in a sexual way, in a, in a romantic way, we could we become we respond. Our emotions tend to be more reactionary. You, I mean, we've all experienced <laughs> waking up in a good mood, feeling great, feeling wonderful, and read an email, get a text. Have an interaction with a family member. That never happens for me, but others. Have an interaction with a family member. And in just seconds, not even seconds, in a split second, all of a sudden, you've got this feeling on that comes over you of agitation, frustration, anger. And so, reactionary thing, Paul says, intentionally, intentionally set, place, your affection. I, I, I don't 
think you can see where my water's going. I don't think, but but I am I, I'm not just randomly throwing it to the side. I am intentionally, in fact, assuming you can't see, I'm placing it on the armrest of a chair beside me that is about two inches. In fact, the, the cup is about as wide as it's actually overlapping the sides a little bit, which means I am being even more careful to intentionally set the glass where it is. It's not a haphazard thing. It's not a random thing. And that's what Paul says we've got to do. And then in the, again, the King James Version uses the word minds. And, and really, we, we can say the same thing about our minds. How many times do, do thoughts, uh, we, we, we head down a path of thoughts as a reaction to something. We start spiraling because of our thoughts rather than being intentional, rather than doing what Paul says Casting down imagination, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Taking captive, taking control of every thought to the obedience of Christ. Set your minds and keep them set. The implication of what Paul is saying is this is not a one-time thing. You don't just decide one time to set your mind on things above, to set your eye on things above. You got to do it, but then you got to keep doing it. It's an ongoing thing because the enemy is continually trying to distract our eyes because he knows if he can. And and for and for each of us, it's 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 not the same thing. There are things that that would that would the enemy could use to try to get my attention that, that you'd never even think twice about. You'd never take a second look at, and vice versa. You've got things that 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 are, are more so your weakness, and some of us have things that are in common. But the enemy is constantly trying to get you to set your eyes on something else so that you'll begin to turn that wheel in the direction you're going. If, you, if all you're doing is putting this in the context of you know, the lust and whatever and some of the other stuff I've referenced, you're, you're, you're missing it. Because for some of you, that's not really, not that you could not, that you're above being tempted, but for some of you, that's not really the area of weakness. But some of you, if you're not careful, some of the other examples or the things I've touched on, the job situation, you start looking at an opportunity and, and, and you got your eyes turned away from your focus, your purpose, your goal, your destination in the kingdom, not just eternal life, but here and now in the kingdom. And, and you, start, you, you, you start subconsciously. There have been some times where I've done that and, and I've been driving along and I got to looking and, 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 and it took my wife hitting me on the arm or yelling at me to get my attention. I didn't even realize, I wasn't even fully aware that I was drifting, but I was I was going. I found it a struggle at times to driving across the Bay Bridge. <laughs> Sometimes it's it's the, all of the ships that are docked out in the bay. Looking at those, and there there've been a few times where you can if you hit it, if you come across the bridge at just the right time, you want to talk about a spot to catch a sunset.
And I found myself a few times through the years coming across the bridge. And I got to tell you, of all the places, I'm definitely a little bit nervous to be looking off to the side. It's the Bay Bridge because there's not a lot of room for error. Somehow, I've still even tried it a few times. Where your eye is set, it's the direction. And if you are, one day you got your eye set, your purpose in the kingdom, your calling, your salvation, you're heading the right direction, but then the next day you're letting other things distract you. You're not single. The light is not as bright as it needs to be. I believe if, and I sure hope, in fact, I hope if anything I've said tonight or the past two weeks that is not biblically, scripturally correct, I sure hope somebody that's watching will, will let me know, will straighten me out. I have no desire to say, ever say anything, teach anything, preach anything that is not biblically correct. But based on the fact I wouldn't be saying any of this if I didn't, sincerely believe it's all correct let me in summary say it i believe for the uh for the average child of god our struggles are not really the lust of the flesh we've, we've kind of matured beyond that i don't think it really takes a whole long takes a lot of time to get beyond that doesn't take a whole lot of time in your walk with God to realize just because something looks good and looks pleasurable, I'm going to go that direction. You, you, you start develop an understanding. Think about one, one of the things I do like, about the only thing I do like about being online is I don't feel quite as much pressure to hurry up and get done because you've got no place to go since you're home. So I'm tricking you. You saw my last verse and thought I was done. Now I'm going to add to it, or hopefully the Lord is adding to it. <laughs> Think about the difference in the outcome if Moses, read Hebrews 11, I think it's around verse 25, the difference his life would have been if when he was come to years, the Bible says when he was come to years, what would the difference have been if when Moses reached the point of having to make a decision on the direction his life was going to go, on the path that he was going to choose. What would have happened if Moses would have made that direction based on the lust of the eyes or even the lust of the flesh? But in the context of tonight, the lust of the eyes. I'm pretty sure if Moses would have made his decision on the direction he was going to go, he would not have chosen to suffer reproach with the children of God rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season, I think he would have chosen to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Let me see how much I can get out of this. It may not last forever, but let me get all that I can get. Thankfully, what's amazing is 40 years of the influence of Egypt, 40 years of living in uh, basically 40 years of living in Pharaoh's household, being influenced by Pharaoh, being taught and trained by Egyptians. I believe, I can't show you book, chapter, and verse, but I believe that there were some things that Moses put, Moses' mother put in him when she was nursing him 
that sowed a seed that as he grew, that seed grew and his eye became focused. I might be in Egypt. I might have the best that Egypt has to offer, but there's something else. There's something more. How do you choose? It, it never ceases to boggle my mind. How do you choose to make the choice that Moses made based on the circumstances he was in? Egypt, the dominating force, it, the Hebrews, the slaves. There's, there's, there's no choice. There's no option. If you're looking at the eyes of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, if you're deciding through the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, there's, there is no choice. <laughs> Children of Israel in bondage is not an option. And you know what? It's pretty much the exact same scenario today and to give my life to Jesus Christ and live my life surrendered to his word, <laughs> giving up my will, giving up my right to make my own decisions and choices. I'm going to give my life up to, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a saint. When I look at the options the world has to offer me, the pleasure, the fun, the enjoyment, the thrills, but if you can get your eyes single, you can get your eyes set, then you can make the right choices. You can go the right direction. Let's pray as we close here this evening. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for this time tonight. Once again, not a setting that we had pre-planned but we trust you're in control. And while I didn't expect to be sitting in my living room tonight, you knew a long time ago I'd be right here. And Lord, why in the midst of this series that we're in, you've allowed it to be this way tonight. I trust that you had it all planned out. So I pray tonight, I pray for every person that's been watching this evening, but I also pray for those that may watch in the future. That you would help us, Lord. Lord, you, you said in your word, and I'm so thankful for it, that you remember our frame, that we are dust. You, you know, you remember our weaknesses, our, our fleshly human tendencies. You know our, our nature, Lord, and you have provided everything we need. You've provided your grace, your mercy, your righteousness, peace, and on and on. God, you've provided everything we need to overcome. I pray that you would help us tonight. I pray for every person, God, that's, that's watching, Lord, that any of them that maybe they are struggling with giving in to the lust of their eyes, I pray, God, that by your grace and your strength, you would help them to find a fresh start and a new beginning. Lord, those that may be in that condition that have already been baptized and filled with your spirit, the, the same forgiveness you offered to us, when we were born again is the same forgiveness you continue to offer to us. You said in your word, a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. I, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that when we get back up, you can renew and restore us. So again, Father, I pray 
right now for any person that may be struggling, giving in to the lust of their eyes. Any person, God, whose conscience has been darkened, that the light of their conscience is not as bright as it was because they have they have caused it to be desensitized by ignoring it, by pressing past it. I, I pray for a renewal. In fact, Lord, I pray for all of us this evening for a renewal of our consciences, Lord. Lord, I, I think there's not any of us, myself absolutely included, that in some area we haven't caused some kind of deadening to our conscience because we're all humans. We've all got our areas of weakness. So, Father, I pray tonight for every one of us that you will renew our consciences, Lord. Light, that that light that shines within us would be as bright as possible. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen.